Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is my opinion, and I'm going to seek my approval. Do I approve of me? Love doesn't have any expectations. It doesn't seek something in return. It gives because it wants to. At our core, all of us have these feelings of being unlovable and inadequate. And until we start to care for those parts of ourselves, we can't really have the outer successes that we long for. There's money by you, intuition, insight, creativity, higher vision, transcendence, no. Money does buy you pleasure, and pleasure is good, but it's not enough. We need fulfillment. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a show to help you pause, relax, reflect, and be curious. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best selling author and entrepreneur exploring the human experience. I interview world leading thinkers, shaping ideas around the mind, health, spirituality, philosophy, and culture. I'm often reminded that thoughts become things, so we need to choose the good ones. I hope this show helps you to do that too. On today's podcast, I'm interviewing Dr. Stephanie Seneff. She is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, and she's the author of the groundbreaking book, Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. Dr. Stephanie has dedicated the last 10 years of her life to investigating how toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies are impacting our health. She is focused on the chemical glyphosate in particular because it is currently used by millions of farmers to control weeds and also by just your usual at-home weed colour and that is sold under the name of Roundup, which you might be familiar with. But with more and more countries banning the chemical, it is still legal in the UK and USA and many countries, I might add. But with countries like Mexico saying it's too unsafe for humans and animals, this is raising the alarms as to why not all governments are banning the use of it. If it can be that dangerous for one country, what are we being exposed to without realizing or without better regulation? Dr. Stephanie has put herself in the firing line. She's been ridiculed and persecuted for her work in revealing how dangerous weed killers can be in affecting our mental health, fertility, hormonal health, and brain functioning. This interview does get quite sciencey, but please stick with it as I think it's a fascinating and much needed conversation we all need to be aware of. Do you have a quote you return to often and why? I would say Don Huber. Uh, Don Huber is a professor, retired. He's over 80 years old. He's still active. And he's the one who first introduced me to glyphosate and made me aware of its toxicity. Glyphosate is Roundup. And he has a quote that talks, and I won't get it exactly right, but his future generations will look back on this time and wonder how we could have let 
the agrochemical industry basically destroy our children's health and their future, you know, something like that. It, it's not an exact quote, but I love his quote and I use it in my presentations and stuff. It couldn't be a more perfect quote for this interview because I think that was the main urgent message I definitely received from reading your book and your work and needing to try to raise awareness of something that you've been working on for many moons. Before we dive in, what would be the piece of advice you would give your younger self before you started your career? Well, I would give them the advice to eat certified organic food. <laughs> That's certainly something that I scream to the rooftops these days. Young people, especially women hoping to have children, absolutely certified organic food. I think it can make a huge difference in the amount of glyphosate that you end up being exposed to. Because glyphosate is all over the food supply in Western countries, particularly in the United States. And we're being poisoned every time we eat a non-organic meal. So this is a perfect point to dive in. What is glyphosate and how have we got here? And when did you first discover it? Okay, that's Don Huber. So Don Huber is the one who, who pointed me to glyphosate and it was an epiphany for me and it changed my career path completely. I was very fortunate that I happened to be at a conference where he was presenting a two-hour presentation on glyphosate and I didn't know what glyphosate was. This is in 2012, like September 2012. I didn't know what glyphosate was. I knew Roundup, and I was looking for the reasons why the autism rates were going up. I was seeing every year, this is why I sort of completely switched my career path in 2007, because I wanted to figure out, I felt like the government was disregarding a critical crisis that was unfolding before our eyes. And we needed to understand what was causing autism in order to be able to fix the epidemic, to stop the epidemic. And I looked at a lot of things. I understood autism a lot better. It's a very complicated disease with lots of comorbidities. And I I understood it a lot better. I knew there was something going on with the gut. And I figured it was something they're eating. You know, I was something in their food is messing them up was sort of where I was at that point. And I had completely ignored glyphosate because first of all, I didn't know it was all over the food supply. And secondly, I didn't think it was toxic because everyone tells us it's it's a beautiful chemical. It kills all the weeds. It doesn't harm us at all, you know wasn't looking for it. and but, but boy, he really pointed the way. And he talked about the things glyphosate does, disrupting the gut microbes, uh, causing the liver to be stressed and unable to, to detoxify other chemicals, mineral imbalances because glyphosate is a chelator, all these things. And I was like, wow, this is it. I, mean, I really it was an epiphany. And I just went back and started reading everything I could about glyphosate. And I haven't stopped. I mean, here I am over a decade later, still very uh, consumed by glyphosate and understanding even more, even to this day, more recently, I keep on understanding more in minute detail of how glyphosate is causing autism and, of course, a whole bunch of other diseases as well. When did glyphosate first come into the market and how was it created? Right. Well, so it, it was kind of a, uh, an accident that it turned out to be an herbicide because I think somebody just noticed it happened to kill plants. Uh, originally, it was marketed as a pipe cleaner to strip metals off of pipes, which it does very well. And of course, it can strip the lead off of lead pipes and deliver it to the kids in the water supply. This actually concerns me with regard to Fleet, Michigan, and other places where they've had too much lead in their water. I'm suspecting that glyphosate's playing a role there. But it was just accidentally discovered it uh, could be an herbicide. And then uh, Monsanto patented it as an herbicide sometime before 1974, 1974, I think in the late 1960s, 1974 was when it was first released on the market in the United States. And I think we were pretty much the first country to get exposed to it. And it was released, uh, you know, and people could buy it uh, at the local uh, garden store to kill dandelions in the yard or weeds growing in the walkway. And it was advertised as being extremely safe. And um, 
It wasn't until the late 1990s that they figured out how to engineer using genetic GMO technology to insert a bacterial gene into the plants, the crops, to make them resistant to glyphosate. And so these are the GMO Roundup Ready crops. Roundup, of course, is glyphosate. And um, this was a big boon. I mean, it was like a a revolution in in agriculture where all of a sudden they could grow these huge monocrop crops with very little uh, human labor because they just spray the crop with the poison and uh, the crop didn't die and all the weeds went away. Very convenient, you know, and they kind of advertised it as being a savior because otherwise we'd starve to death. I mean, they paint this picture that we can't live without glyphosate, which is not true, but that's what the industry says, you know, that we should appreciate glyphosate because it's been so uh, helpful in the food supply. But actually, it doesn't. It's a benefits in terms of uh, increasing yield are only our short term. Because after a few years of using it, the soil gets wrecked and then the, the minerals get depleted. I mean, lots of bad things happen in the soil that makes the crop not as hardy and then it's less resistant to insects. You have to use more insecticides, it's less resistant to fungus. So you use more fungicides and the glyph- and then, then the weeds develop resistance to glyphosate, so you use more glyphosate. So the poisons are going up. The poisons that are being used on our food over time are increasing every year because of all these factors. And this is, has really become to a head at this point because I see so many people that are so sick and it's just really sad to think about what's coming in the future. It's almost like we've become addicted to glyphosate unknowingly, because as you said, as a farmer, if you've used glyphosate for so many years, it seems almost impossible to get off it. Yeah, and they sort of forget how to grow crops without it, you know, because there are ways. And I know, and I know people who can. Um, ben Dobson, it comes to mind, and he's an organic farmer, and he can grow corn and soy, and he does it by planting um, in the wintertime. He plants a variety of different sort of wheat crops, I mean, so grasses and things, you know, that are um, cover crops. And the cover crops cover the, um, the soil over the winter. And they also help with nutritional supply to the crop. And then he, he just, and he doesn't kill them with any kind of chemical. He just mashes them down into a big mat. And then he kind of punctures through the mat to plant the seed. And miraculously, the seed is able to work its way up through the mat. But the mat kind of keeps uh, the weeds out, you know, so the weeds are, um, are m- much less of a problem because of that mat that came from that cover crop over the winter. So I think that's a good way to do it. And of course, there's also the possibility of robotics. And I think there's some interesting go- things going on there as well with robotic tractors that power themselves with sunlight. You know, they have solar panels and they can be self-navigating and they can have vision. I mean, all these things you can do with modern technology, which is really impressive to have them no- see a weed actually and identify it as a weed and then zap it with hot boiling water, you know, something like that. So I think there are ways to not require people to get out in the fields and pull weeds by hand. That's the part we would like not to have to do, you know. And if we can find a way to get around that and still have productive crops, then I think it'll be a huge benefit. I love that so early on in our chat to cement the idea that there are alternatives. We shouldn't have to be stuck in this reality that we are currently in. It seems to be very much, you know, hearing that, a choice. And I guess the question is, Who's making these choices on our behalf for us to be stuck in this toxic glyphosate cycle? But I guess before we kind of move on to that, I would really love to create an understanding as to why is glyphosate bad for humans? Like, how does it interact with the body? And why should, you know, and when you say you're saying a lot of people get sick, what are the symptoms you're seeing? And how can you trace that back to exposure to glyphosate? Yeah, that's a big question. And I guess I'll start with the gut microbes because I think that's a critical part of the story. 
uh, the gut microbes, because we didn't realize how important they are to our health until they stopped working. And it's really been over the last two decades that researchers have figured out, oh, my God, these microbes do so much for the host and they get messed up and people get sick. You know, they're really aware of it. And you have like inflammatory bowel disease and celiac disease and, uh, glu- you know, gluten intolerance is a big deal. And then just gas, you know, and, and diarrhea and constipation, all these things that are happening that are going up over time. Our gut is not healthy anymore. You know, that's sort of very clear to me. Certainly in the United States, uh, a lot of people have issues with their gut. And what's happening is that glyphosate is killing off many of the gut microbes and particularly the beneficial ones. And this is very clear. And in fact, enough papers have come out now that have shown it, that it disrupts bifidobacteria and lactobacillus especially. And those are really important microbes in the infant gut. They're like dominant in the infant gut normally. Lactobacillus helps you process milk, you know, so very important for the infant. And the bifidobacteria produce uh, really important um, nutrients for the host as well. And both of them have a version of this enzyme, EPSP synthase, that's in the plants. It's the reason why plants die from glyphosate is that enzyme gets wrecked. Many of our gut microbes have that enzyme, and therefore they, it gets wrecked in them as well. And then they can't perform their tasks. They can't do their job. And then we end up with lots of deficiencies. And in fact, that enzyme is critical for the host because it's in a pathway called the shipmate pathway. And the bacteria have that pathway. Human cells don't. That's how they argue it's perfectly safe because we don't even have the pathway that's affected by glyphosate. That's the argument they use, which sounds good. But because our gut microbes have that pathway, use that pathway to make critical nutrients for the host, when that pathway gets wrecked in the, wrecked in the microbes, we become deficient. And the products are these aromatic amino acids, uh, tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. Those are three of the 20 or so building blocks of proteins. The amino acids are the things that get put together on a string according to the DNA code to make these proteins, and the proteins are the workhorses of the body. So when you don't have enough of this critical class of, of amino acids, protein synthesis is going to be compromised you know, to start with. But also those ar- aromatics are precursors to incredibly important molecules that play essential roles in our metabolism and in our hormone system. Serotonin, which you know is a hormone, feel-good hormone, serotonin, melatonin, which helps you sleep at night, melanin, the skin tanning agent, thyroid hormone, adrenaline, all of those come out of the uh, mate pathway. They're derived from those uh, aromatic amino acids. So when those become deficient, all these hormones become deficient. Which is just astounding. What would you say the relationship is? Because, you know, one thing I have looked at in quite a lot of detail in the last, I guess, 10 years is the declining mental health rates. You know, we're truly, we're in a mental health epidemic. We've all just been looking at really cell phones and the fact that we're so connected or we're struggling with the modern world, we're too busy, we're stressed. And it's only really been in the recent years where I've thought, hold on a minute, is this all just psychological the reason why we're struggling, or is there another reason? And then you kind of highlighted this point in your book. So how could glyphosate be affecting mental health? Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And that's an area that I've looked deeply into, because I think it's also connected to autism and ADHD. I mean, the ADHD is an epidemic in the kids right now. And um, of course, depression is an epidemic. All these things are going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage in the United States, all of them. Uh, really remarkable, including schizophrenia and, and, and Alzheimer's, all these sort of brain disorders and anxiety, all of them are going up dramatically over time, exactly in step with glyphosate usage. And I think it's a direct causal hit in, in all cases. And I've been doing deep dives into the underlying mechanism by which, and it's becoming very clear to me, and it has a lot to do with glutamate, actually, 
And it's been shown in many studies that glyphosate causes stress in the brain. It gets into the brain, first of all, and causes inflammation, causes the uh, immune cells in the brain to kick in and start producing inflammatory signals, which then cause glutamate excitotoxicity. It causes the cells to release excess. It's the immune cells that are releasing excess glutamate into the exterior space. Glutamate is a neurotransmitter, but it becomes a neuroexcitotoxin if there's too much. And that's going to start breaking the neurons, actually. First of all, the synapse gets completely messed up. And there's really a lot of papers coming out recently, in fact, that are showing the exact mechanisms by which. In fact, a, a paper I just came across, I'll share this. It wasn't in my book because I didn't know. I don't think it was published. It's a protein called PSD-95, I believe, postsynaptic density 95. It's a very technical name for this protein. I had been aware of it as an important protein in the synapse to make the synapse work properly, which is how the neurons communicate with each other. And then I found a paper with a huge number of authors that talked about this kind of new syndrome that was linking to all kinds of different problems, uh, including ADHD and autism and uh, depression and uh, epilepsy. I mean, all these things, microcephaly, a huge list of things that were connected to de novo mutations in that protein. So that person... The child is born of parents who don't have that mutation. It happens during to that child. And then they have this problem that shows up with these mutations. But what the paper that I was really excited about is that glyphosate suppresses that protein in the brain. Mm. And that was shown to be the case. And that's just one example of uh, how it could. But it's basically the glutamate excitotoxicity that then takes the neurons down this nasty path that messes up the synapses and then eventually kills the neurons. Neurons are dying. And I guess to move on to kind of your original curiosity, which is why has autism increased so much in the recent years? And obviously a lot of arrows point to glyphosate. Are you seeing that because of pregnant women being poisoned as such? And that's why autism is increasing? Or is it actually the babies are being poisoned as soon as they've kind of been born and in those first early years? Because isn't it the age of three or something when autism starts to be more present? Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, I think when the mother is exposed, it's going to cause the autism in the fetus. Um, but if, uh, if the mother isn't exposed, but then the child is eating all kinds of glyphosate-contaminated foods, then the child can get sick with autism. It can be born healthy and be fine and then revert into autism later on after it's been eating a lot of processed foods that are loaded with glyphosate. So I think it's both. And where are you seeing most glyphosate-affected foods for kids? Is it when you're buying processed foods in the supermarket or you know, how are people being exposed to glyphosate? Now, that's an excellent question. And that's one thing that's been a concern to me. And I have friends who have been testing and U.S. government doesn't bother to test at all. But the Canadian government did a big effort, over 8,000 samples of foods from from Europe, from US, from Mexico, and native Canadian foods. And a friend of mine, Tony Mitra, produced a book out of that. He was the one who got them to do it. And that book is called Poison Foods of North America. And it's pretty depressing because it shows that Canada and the United States had significantly higher levels of glyphosate in lots of different foods compared to Europe and compared to Mexico, which really kind of lined up with Europe, which was interesting to me. Mexico has decided to ban glyphosate. And that is very exciting. And the U.S. is trying very hard to get them to change their minds. And we're pressuring them because we don't, we're afraid they won't buy our food. You know, so it's interesting. Uh, Mexico is really a leader in pushing towards a future time when there is no glyphosate. We're going to get there eventually. We have to because otherwise we're going to be too sick. But the um, foods, are, interesting foods that contain a lot of glyphosate are some foods that are very popular with children like goldfish uh, crackers. 
oat-based cereals, oatmeal, Cheerios, wheat, so um, cookies, you know, um, graham crackers, all these kinds of wheat-based foods, in particular um, soy, of course. Soy is GMO Roundup Ready. So the GMO Roundup Ready crops are corn, soy, canola, sugar beets, which is sugar, of course. All the sugars are going to be contaminated because the sugar beets um, and the uh, sh- sugar cane is sprayed right before harvest as a desiccant. And wheat is sprayed right before harvest as a desiccant. People don't realize this, but these are non-GMO crops. So non-GMO is not good enough. No, some of the highest levels are found in non-GMO crops and non-GMO foods, and particularly bread. So, you know, wheat is a problem in the United States, and lots of people have gluten intolerance, so they're trying to avoid wheat. And I think that's a direct consequence of the glyphosate in the wheat. I really feel very strongly on that. In fact, I've written a paper together with Anthony Samso where we argued that gluten intolerance is a, the epidemic that we're seeing in gluten intolerance is a direct consequence of glyphosate. You actually write in your book that we describe glyphosate as an antibiotic, which, again, I think is kind of quite a shocking term because we assume antibiotic as medicine. But actually, in this case, it is poison. How is that so? Yeah, I mean, antibiotics kill good good bacteria as well as bad bacteria. And you can actually get in trouble if you take an antibiotic that is super killer, wipes out your good microbes, and your gut can get disrupted after taking an antibiotic. And the other thing that's interesting is that one antibiotic ex- exposure of the microbes to one antibiotic, the, the pathogens, can help them to train them to be resistant to a bunch of other antibiotics as well. There's kind of a generic solution that they use to be able to push antibiotics out of the cell and still and not and not get killed. So the microbes develop more antibiotic resistance as a consequence of chronic exposure to glyphosate. And now you've got a problem with we have this problem with all these antibiotics that don't work anymore. And I think glyphosate is a driver behind that as well. I am over the moon because I want to take a moment to thank my podcast partners for this episode. It is the brand Artar and they create the most incredible supplements. And I'm really not just saying this. I took their fertility supplement for three months prior to my egg freezing journey And it gave me so much confidence because I knew I was taking great quality, very thought through supplements that would give the nutrients my body needed to optimize my result. And they offer different supplements for different things, but I couldn't recommend their fertility supplement more if you are on that maternal journey. But they focus on being effective, efficient, evidence-based, and they also offer nutrition programs designed to help you thrive. They're award-winning. They use practitioner strength and sustainably sourced ingredients free from harmful additives and fillers. And they use the very best quality ingredients at the right dosage. And many supplements don't do this. And so this is why I want to celebrate Artar even more for how delicate and sensitive they've been when it comes to health and supporting people in the way they need to be supported. Their range includes formulas for metabolism, cellular health, gut health, and of course, fertility to help you address metabolic health from every angle. I obviously am a huge fan of their enhanced fertility blend, which uses vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients proven to improve egg quality, 
hormone health and blood sugar. All the things are very important on that journey. And I love that they use a good dose of CoQ10, which is an important ingredient for women in their 30s because it has everything you need to optimize maternal and fetal health. So that's a truly honest recommendation. I'll put a link to the brand in the show notes. And I've got some really exciting news. Arta have very kindly given my podcast listeners 20% off. So if you'd like to try out their supplements, just type in poppy20 at checkout. And I'll put that in the show notes too. And you'll get 20% on anything you buy. I think it's a hugely generous discount, so do use it. I'm even using the discount myself. Anyway, let's get back to the interview. Europe glyphosate laws and European glyphosate policy is slightly different from US. However, the European Union, as far as I'm aware, there was this big debate, and I'm sure you know more about it, it as a big debate a few months ago when they were debating whether we were able to ban glyphosate. And sadly, that decision wasn't made, and it was actually made farmers are allowed to use glyphosate now for the next 10 years. What was your thoughts? on that? And did you follow the European case at all? Yeah, I did. And in fact, I submitted, you know, information to them saying you really need to ban it. So I was one of the people who helped to try to argue in the case of, of, of banning glyphosate. And uh, we were hopeful that it might actually work. And it was good to see that they had to deliberate for quite a while. So that's progress of sorts, right? They, they didn't just automatically renew it. They had to really deliberate for quite a while. But the industry is really powerful. And they produced these beautiful brochures that said how urgently we need glyphosate and we can't live without it, that kind of thing. And basically that, that argument won. I mean, it's really frustrating to me. I think that glyphosate is going to disappear because the uh, industry will refuse to make it anymore because of lawsuits. My hope is, is with lawsuits. I think we're really having an impact with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I don't know if you know about the series of lawsuits, in it, starting with Dwayne Lee Johnson. This was like, yes. 2018 or something. Dwayne Lee Johnson initiated a lawsuit against Monsanto for uh, saying that glyphosate caused his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which he got at an early age. He was in his early 40s. He had young children, and uh, he got a severe case of a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so then this lawsuit, you know, what was amazing is that he actually won because usually the industry has these very powerful lawyers that come in and somehow you never succeed. But he succeeded with a jury trial and got awarded a large sum of money. Of course, they immediately started um, going to higher courts to try to cancel out the lawsuit. It's been in negotiation, I think, even to this day. But after his, his lawsuit, there were two others that followed in rapid succession and all three of them were based on non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and all three of them were awarded a, a big a sum of money by a jury trial. And now there's like tens or hundreds of thousands of cases waiting in the wings. And so there's a couple more that have come through recently. I think one in Philadelphia and one in St. Louis, Missouri. So there's several of them now that have succeeded in getting a large award by a jury trial. And so I'm sure Monsanto, and this is Bayer now because Bayer bought Monsanto, I bet they're running scared. And I, I heard that they've already decided, based on these lawsuits, to no longer sell Roundup with a glyphosate formulation in the United States to the um, residential market. They still are happy to pour it all over the food, but the residential market, because those are the ones that can win the trial. When you have a farmer and he says, God, glyphosate caused my non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, they'll say, no, it's the other chemicals that you're exposed to, because the farmers are always exposed to multiple chemicals, so they can get out of it. 
you can't win the case if you're if you're a farmer for that reason. Gosh, that's really interesting where you think that the government policy isn't going to change fast enough, but the private pressure yeah. might. Well, choosing to eat certified organic, which is putting pressure on the farmers, that's also working. Mm. In America, I see a tremendous improvement in the number of, in the access to certified organic foods in even the ordinary grocery stores, you know, not just kind of the high-end uh, fancy stores, you know. The regular grocery store increasingly is selling certified organic foods. I guess that's my worry is that we are pricing people out of health. You know, organic is so much more expensive and you're trying to feed a small family. It's a real stretch for many people. And so I think to myself, how is this going to be equal or how are we going to get into a, a situation where everyone gets access to clean food? I know it's hard for someone who's trying to save money and then to see this cost twice as much and it looks the same, tastes the same. You know, it's sort of hard to understand why you need to buy that. I personally think that you'll come out ahead in the long run. If your kid doesn't get autism, yeah. that's going to be huge, right? And if you don't get, you know, depression or all these different things that could come about, obesity, I mean, I think glyphosate is the major driver behind the obesity epidemic that's huge in this country. I mean, huge globally. Why do you believe it's the greatest driver in obesity? Well, I think glyphosate is an obesogen, and, and I talk about that in my book, and it may have to do with, for one thing, disrupting PEPCK. I talk about phosphoenolpyruvate carboxykinase and disrupting. Um, so basically, when PEPCK, I think it's being broken by glyphosate. It has exactly the same. I talked about it in my book. It's a bit technical, but it has exactly the same setup as the EPSP synthase in the protein at the place where I suspect glyphosate is substituting for glycine. So I think glyphosate's mechanism of toxicity is really unique and diabolical, which is to uh, get into proteins by mistake in place of the coding amino acid glycine. And that's what I think happens in EPSP synthase. And the evidence is quite strong. And I wrote a whole chapter showing how even Monsanto's own researchers basically found that out, you know, and said perhaps it's being incorporated into the protein. That's their own words, you know. I mean, like, yes, that's right. That's exactly what's happening. That's how you can explain the EPSP synthase. And then if you look at PPCK, you see it binds even the same molecule, PEP. Both of them bind PEP, the phosphate of PEP, at a site where they have highly conserved glycine. So it's a very specific thing that makes me suspect that glyphosate suppresses PEPCK. And PEPCK is a really important enzyme in the liver. It's also very important, by the way, when the baby's born. It has to really kick in and get started when the baby's born. But PEPCK is able to convert other foods into sugar. It basically is a gluconeogenesis, it's called, making sugar out of other nutrients. And that kicks in when the blood sugar gets low. So the, the liver sort of notices, oh, blood, blood sugar, maybe the person's exercising and they haven't eaten in a while. The blood sugar is dropping down really low. And then the liver says, oh, my God, I got to make sugar, you know. And it can do it quickly, but not if glyphosate is messing up the enzyme. And then the body sort of adjusts and, le and learns, oh, we can't let sugar get low. We got to keep sugar high you know, in the blood. So you start to get high blood sugar as a starting point towards diabetes, for example. And then the fat cells start hoarding fat to have a reserve fuel. To, again, every, then the fat cells actually get stuck, it gets fat stuck inside them because I believe, because glyphosate, again, is messing up another enzyme that's um, able to respond to alarm signals by releasing the fat so that there will be some fuel to supply the, the energy for the body. And when that gets messed up, then the fat cells end up storing fat because it can't get it out. So there's it's all these different things that get messed up. And I talked about a lot of it in my book as a consequence of this weird issue that glyphosate can mess up these proteins in a big way. So there's very specific proteins that are affected. 
uh, by glyphosate in ways that are going to cause devastating consequences. That's why it can be associated with so many diseases. I know an opposing argument is, oh, well, the exposure to glyphosate is so minuscule that it can't have these effects that scientists, like you say, is having on the human body. What's your response to that? Well, that's really interesting because you get into the issue of endocrine disruptors, and it's become very clear uh, to researchers that an endocrine disruptor is a really unusual kind of toxin that is especially toxic at very low levels. So the lower you go, the more toxic it gets. And that was shown explicitly in some studies that I talked about in my book. Yeah, I remember one where they exposed the rats to three different levels of glyphosate, and it was and the ones who were the lowest had the worst effect. And I think it had to do with the sperm and uh, and the health of the sperm impacted by the very low levels of glyphosate. So endocrine disruptors act like hormones when they are in very low concentrations, but when they get to higher concentrations, they don't. It's very interesting. And this brings me on to glyphosate and infertility, which is really kind of the reason I found your book in the first place. I was diagnosed with low ovarian reserve and at 32 and I, last year, and I couldn't understand why my fertility would be suboptimal because I assumed I lived a healthy life. Yeah. And so I suddenly found this link between reproductive health decline and glyphosate exposure. So how has glyphosate got anything to do with this? Oh, it has a lot to do with it. Again, I think it's probably one of the most important factors that's causing our crisis in fertility, both male and female fertility. And I have a whole chapter in my book on that. One thing is polycystic ovary syndrome, which is something that uh, is an epidemic in women. They get these cysts in their ovaries, but they also have extremely poor fertility. Like it's, it's the number one cause of infertility in women, polycystic ovary syndrome. And that is something that I think is caused by glyphosate. Other things can cause it too, but I think glyphosate is causing that. And in my book, I wrote about, there were three different uh, enzymes, if I remember this correctly, hexose, phosphate, dehydrogenase, and PAPS synthase, and then uh, aromatase. Those three enzymes uh, being deficient is linked to polycystic ovary syndrome. And in my book, I can show how glyphosate impacts all three of those enzymes. That's one way how, how it can happen. Uh, but what hap aromatase is really important because that's an enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen. And it's been shown in multiple studies that glyphosate suppresses aromatase, which is not surprising because it suppresses the general class of cytochrome P450 enzymes, of which aromatase is, is one of those enzymes. As I said, aromatase converts testosterone to estrogen. So when aromatase is broken, you get too much testosterone and too little estrogen, which is happening to women, which ends up having this kind of male, you know, you get more facial hair and you get kind of a bulky build. You have a lot of issues with obesity. This whole syndrome of polycystic ovary syndrome can be a consequence of, uh, of disrupted aromatase. That alone could explain it. And there's just other problems as well that also contribute. So I, I think it's very clear um, that glyphosate is causing that. And that's also linked to autism. Women who have polycystic ovary syndrome have an increased risk of producing an autistic child. Why would sperm health be affected by glyphosate? In a big way, <laughs> very, very much so. And in fact, there was an amazing study that looked at, um, at the production of testosterone in the uh, Leydig cells, L-E-Y-D-I-G cells that make testosterone that that's going to help to produce sperm. It was severely suppressed in a study that was done on rats, like 95% down the testosterone. And the authors explained it by this other protein called STAR, steroidogenic acute regulatory protein, STAR, which is super, super important for, uh, for bringing cholesterol into the mitochondria so that it can produce the testosterone that's needed. So you really, 
mess up the production of hormones. So actually the synthesis of testosterone is disrupted in the male and the ability to convert testosterone to estrogen is disrupted, for example, in the female. That also happens in the male too. And that's how you get this too much testosterone during development. And, and they're very critical of the balance of testosterone and estrogen during development in, in utero that then can mess up, even I think mess up the whole reproductive system gets disturbed. Sperm are also very much affected by the glyphosate, and studies in vitro have shown that the sperm, with low exposure to low doses of glyphosate, they become more, their motility goes down and their count goes down. And so it's really, we've got an epidemic in low sperm count among the males, and I think glyphosate's a major contributor. There's other chemicals that are causing that as well. Atrazine is another herbicide, and it's been shown to, uh, exposure to atrazine in, in tadpoles can convert male frogs into females, completely functional females that are able to reproduce, even though they're XY. I think all the herbicides need to be banned. We need to get rid of herbicides, especially chemical-based herbicides, altogether. You know, if we get rid of glyphosate and replace it with atrazine, we're going to have a whole other set of problems. It feels that the chemical industries do that quite a lot. They kind of just change one molecule and then they just sell it again under a different name. Absolutely. They just keep kind of tweaking it, right? Try to find something else that still works and say, oh, we don't have this anymore. They do that with the PCBs, I think. They love to try to get by with as little testing as possible. And if regulatory agents are not strict about it, then fine. You know, they, they can go ahead and poison us. And, and the intricate interactions among all these different chemicals cause such a complex reaction in the body that we can't possibly understand it, you know? And we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, it must be fine. Don't worry. It's small amounts. You know, we just uh, <laughs> wishful thinking, I would call it. If toxicity testing is so straightforward, and I think you um, you mentioned this in your book, there's maybe two or three very obvious tests you can do to see how toxic something is. But why are many chemical companies not doing these tests if they're straightforward? I know this probably sounds like an obvious answer, but I thought yeah. that was important to discuss anyway. They rig the experiments so as to favor um, the results they're looking for, basically. And that's really true with glyphosate because they just, you know, they, they have this formulation where they put these other things in there. And those other things are also toxic, but they never evaluate those for toxicity. And then with, with the GMOs, you know, they developed the GMO crops and then they evaluated the GMO toxicity and they grew the crops organically. Organic GMOs, they didn't use glyphosate on them. And then they evaluated their toxicity. So they're, they're basically avoiding the real situation. They test glyphosate in isolation, but glyphosate is always in a formulation and the formulation makes it much more toxic. It's mm -hmm. both you know, toxic itself and encouraging glyphosate to get into the cells. And then they tested glyphosate at high levels and also for too short a time. So they made up all these rules, which um, I think they discovered, oh dear, we better not go more than three months because we're going to start to see damage. Let's just say we only have to look for three months because they had this rule with animals if you're doing a, a rat test, you only have to look for three months. And if everything looks okay, then good, it's, it's, it's healthy. And then uh, Seralini in France did an experiment. He repeated the experiment that the industry had done with rats, only he exposed them for their whole life. This was a low level of glyphosate. And they, they, he didn't stop at three months. He said at three months, they were looking okay. You really couldn't tell the difference between the control and, and, and the treated group. But once he got to four months, he started to see some problems. And by the time they finished out their whole life, the treated rats had, uh, uh, the males had, had liver damage and kidney damage. The females had massive mammary tumors. Um, all of the animals had reproductive issues, you know, and early early death. All of that came out, but they had to go longer than three months to see it because glyphosate's a slow kill. And I think that's how they got 
they were able to get past the regulatory process because they didn't look long enough. And then they also did the high dose. If you don't see any trouble at high doses, you don't have to go to lower doses. So they never got the uh, endocrine disrupting effects because they stayed at high doses. I guess the question is, if you've been exposed to glyphosate, is there any way you can detoxify the body? I mean, is there a way out from the many decades we've all had of exposure? That's the worrisome thing. And I do know there are some people who are marketing some products that may be helpful. I think it's extremely hard to get it out. Unfortunately, a certain percentage of the glyphosate that you're exposed to ends up in your tissues all over your mm. body. And it's in, I think it's embedded in the proteins. And then, so you have a protein that's got glyphosate in it, say it's collagen. Collagen has tons and tons of glycine. Collagen is the most common protein in the body. A third of our proteins are collagen molecules. That's the glue that holds everything together. A lot of people are having trouble with joint pain and bone issues. You know, all of these things uh, depend upon collagen. Collagen has tons of glycine. It has a huge long sequence of GXY, 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 where every third amino acid is a glycine. So very glycine-rich protein. And I think collagen is getting sprinkled with glyphosate all over the place. And, and there are mutations in collagen. We just have one glycine that got mutated to something else, and you can have severe disease. There's Ehlers-Donlos syndrome, which is often caused by glycine mutations in collagen. So glyphosate is effectively introducing a mutation at the time of protein synthesis, and it's producing a lot of mutations in the collagen, I think. So if the glyphosate is in the collagen, and then when your body breaks down the collagen, and puts it back into amino acids, it frees up the glyphosate. Now it can go find some other protein to get into. So your, your body is constantly moving the glyphosate around all over the place. And when it gets into certain proteins, it can totally destroy their ability to do their job. So this, this is what's happening. And so to get it out of those proteins is really, really hard. You know, you have to sort of, first of all, break down the protein, then get the gly glyphosate out into circulation, and maybe get it out through the urine. You know, it, it's just only a small percentage that gets incorporated into the proteins, but it accumulates over time. So you get worse and worse as you get older mm. with more and more proteins circulating their glyphosate among each other. So they think that gets really tricky as you get older. And then you get things like Alzheimer's disease, you know. And that actually brings me to uh, something you mentioned at the beginning of your book about the dolphins. And I think it's so interesting looking at the animal world because obviously you, they aren't subjective. You know, they're either ill or not. Would you mind expanding on what are we seeing in dolphins and how is that informing us that glyphosate exposure could be linked to Alzheimer's? Yeah, exactly. That was really interesting to me because the dolphins in Florida, it's in the Everglades and, you know, the, uh, the whole Florida river system is really contaminated with, heavily contaminated with glyphosate. Um, they use it, of course, the people use it on their beautiful lawns. Um, they use it in the sugarcane industry around the, the waterways. They actually put it into the waterways to control invasive weeds. And when glyphosate goes into water weights, it goes directly into the biomass. And so the manatees are, are in really bad shape right now in, in Florida. The manatees are, it's just awful to even think about. They're starving to death. They, they're getting poisoned by the glyphosate that's in the, the greens that they eat in the biomass. And so they're getting a high dose. It was really amazing, this article that I saw on, they actually did an experiment of putting glyphosate into the waterway, which is a murky waterway. And then they found the glyphosate quickly disappeared from the water. And then it's like, where did it go? And then they found out it was a thousandfold more concentrated in those greens than it was in the actual water. So it goes, it gets stuck inside the greens. So the animals that eat those things get really, really sick. And the dolphins in Florida also are exposed to all that glyphosate, and they developed Alzheimer's. They have a problem with Alzheimer's in those Florida dolphins, and and I think glyphosate is contributing to that. 
Alzheimer's is going up in our country exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage. It's one of those perfect match. You know, when you look over time, yeah, mm-hmm. autism and, and Alzheimer's both are going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage. My last question is actually talking about glyphosate and the impact on the bee population. And I think, you know, if you wouldn't mind expanding on how important bees are for the survival of humans, that would be, I think, just useful to touch upon as well, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, the bees are really essential for pollination of the crops so that they can grow. And uh, and the bees are being devastated. There's a huge problem with bee colony collapse syndrome in Europe as well. And in the United States, it's just really getting scary because we're not going to have enough bees to do the job and we're going to have to lose certain crops because of it. And they spent a lot of focus on the insecticides, you know, and people have been wanting to ban pyrophos, for example. So it's very, in fact, insecticides that are probably affecting the bees. But I think glyphosate is a primary player in the demise of the bees. And in fact, Don Huber thinks that too. And he's actually looked into it and, and he's even talked about their gut microbiome being disrupted by glyphosate, and it can actually cause them to leave the nest too soon and not take care of the larvae, not properly feed the larvae, and the larvae can starve. And uh, and the bees can get uh, confused, actually, almost like Alzheimer's and not know how to get, because they have these bee trucks that come in, and then they can fertilize the almonds, and then they just don't come back. They normally would just all come back, and they don't. They just wander off and get lost because they can't find their way back. And that's like an Alzheimer's symptom, you know? So I think they're getting bee autism or bee Alzheimer's. And then they're also going to be more sensitive to the uh, insecticides because glyphosate disrupts the liver detoxing enzymes that take care of the insecticides. So the combination is really bad. Dr. Stephanie, I just cannot thank you enough for your time. This has been absolutely fascinating. I think that if you're listening and you haven't been aware of glyphosate, then I really hope this interview has given you a really solid basis of what you need to know. And it is the greatest motivator. Dr. Stephanie, if people have questions, where is the best place for people to find you? Uh, The best way to reach me is through email, uh, senefat, csail, C-S-A-I-L, that's my lab, dot M-I-T dot E-D-U. And I have a webpage, stephaniesenef.net. You can find my book, a link to booksellers of my book on my webpage, stephaniesenef.net. We'll put a bunch of different links to Stephanie's book. It's an essential and important read. And I wish every medical professional would buy a book because I think it would change the healthcare of the world. Thank you so much for your time. We couldn't appreciate it more. I'm very glad to be here. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker, a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you. So do shoot me a message on Instagram. Send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 